0: prayer Lord God once again we are grateful for this day of all the days of the week and especially this Sunday of day all the days of the year we are reminded that we are not without the energy we need we're not left as orphans and you call us forward to be your witnesses in Jerusalem Judea and to the ends of the earth and Lord, we pray that as this word is brought forward this morning, that you would truly think our thoughts, that my words would be yours among this, your people, and that you would set every single heart on fire like you did those first apostles so that we would see a new Pentecost in our day. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I was shaving this week, and I came to realize it. And you, young people, will realize it one day, I'm sure. You know, just heed my words. That uh, I looked at my uh, face. I've been looking at pictures of my family, and I was shaving, and I just just put the razor down and go, "Ah!" <laughs> I have West Sherman's wave With Jean Sutherland's thinning. I have Gertrude Burnham's nose and Ida Bell Sutherland's eyes, which is my mother's eyes. I'm getting old, people. (laughs) That's all right. But I can't deny them, and they can't deny me. And we all come to that place, right? I mean, Mary posted just yesterday on Facebook, if you're a friend of my daughter-in-law, she goes, is this, is this Zach's face or what? And Ida Bell had a snarky look on her face, and I go, I know that boy. <laughs> I go, all right, Bell, sorry, you look like your daddy. Well... Today is the Feast of Pentecost where we remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit of God lives in each and every one of us. And as I say, each and every Pentecost, it's not a matter of whether you have the Holy Spirit is does the Holy Spirit have all of you. In other words, are you really a Christian? Because either you have no power and therefore you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ in totality or... You have come to Christ, and you have to just take hold of the power that's there. And so, my friends, we recognize throughout our lives we have various struggles in the faith and walking in the power of the Spirit, as we're all called to do. And in John's first letter to the early church, which was a cyclical letter which went all over the Roman Empire, John gives us hints of how we can know we're walking with the Lord in the fullness of the Spirit, and that we can truly be overcomers. So I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the first chapter, uh, the first letter of John, chapter 5, because we're going to see the signs of life that the Holy Spirit gives us. Or in other words, three traits or birthmarks that the Father can't deny us because we're His. All right? So, so the first birthmark that John employs here in the true believer is a love for his church verse 1 of chapter 5 of first letter of John everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him John is using the example of birth as he does throughout the letter and as he does throughout his gospel the whole idea of being born again to illustrate what it means to be a Christian. The birth of a baby is a common event and there are two things that are always true of babies. First, is every believer is born into some kind of family, dysfunctional or functional, but they have a family. And secondly, the baby has certain physical characteristics of their family, a little wave in the hair, a little thinning of the hair, a nose, some eye color, No, the newborns have characteristics of the family that become even more pronounced and recognizable as the person ages. And the Christian life, my friends, is like that. The Christian is someone who has experienced new birth. This birth is a spiritual birth, and it's one of John's favorite terms to describe a Christian and what it means to become one. When he said, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Notice this tense of the verb, has been born. Physical birth cannot be undone. It cannot be redone. Once you're born, you're born. And the same is true for spiritual birth. And the key to the new birth is true faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. If you believe that, you're born again. You have the new birth. It goes far beyond mere church going or being baptized as an infant or being confirmed. Belief is the sign of the new birth, not a consequence of the new birth. John 1, 12 and 13 make it clear that faith is the condition of the new birth. It's, the, it's who we are as Christians. So it's a natural thing for a child to love his or her parents. And when we understand that God has done for us and bring about a redemption, our love for him grows and continues to mature, and it just flows out. Loving God is an easy thing for those who know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Paul says in Romans 8, 14, as a matter of fact, we can have such an intimate relationship with him that we call him Daddy. Abba, Father. That's Aramaic for Daddy. We can have that relationship with the creator of the universe and so john says that whoever loves the father also loves the child born of the father you know when when you're born into a family you know i love my dad i love my mom but it takes time to love your siblings doesn't it (laughs) all right It, it, it just does right? I mean, I've, I've shared with you some of the stories of my brother, Bo. I resented my name. He got the cool name. Who wouldn't be want to be named Bo, you know? That's awesome. You know, that's a name for you. I had Eugene, <laughs> you know, and I was the youngest in the family, and Bo had learning disabilities, and everybody made fun of him at school, and he just took out all his anger on yours truly, Every day, when mom wasn't looking, I was going to get a beat down. I'm not kidding you. A severe, lock the door, and just start pounding, pounding, pounding. And I'd call him a name, and I'd fight back, and we'd just get in a rustle. And we'd wrestle, fight, tag, pull hair. I taught every dirty move. I learned every dirty move about fighting for my brother. It's quite handy down the road. But the reality is, it took a while to learn to love my brother. And growing up, you do that. Well, it's the same thing with the church family as well. At Christ Church, we have three congregations. We ebb we and flow between the three, but generally, most people, as you guys do, choose the 11 o'clock or the 8 o'clock or the 9.30. And 1 Corinthians 13 describes love. Among the things that Paul says in that passage about love is that it does not regard evil. Hardly notices when people do wrong to them. Sometimes we tend to keep books of evil on other people, don't we? We especially married people do that, right? You know, remember when you did this? Well, that was years ago. Well, we do that in the church, too. And Paul reminds us that true love doesn't do that. If someone wronged you last year and you received forgiveness, you shouldn't bring up that incident again. Imagine if God treated us that way, the way we treat others. I mean, suppose God said to you when you sin today, and you will, probably. I'd put money on it, all right? You know, I seem to recall something you did like that last month. I forgave you for it, but let's, let's sit down and talk about that thing again. How would that feel? No, my friends. As Corey Ten Boom said, when God forgives us, our sins are cast into the sea, and a sign on the shore is posted saying, no fishing allowed. So we are called to love one another. Here at Christ Church. So I call you, 11 o'clock family, to get to know one another. Hang around after the service. Don't run out. Grab a cup of coffee. Jeff goes out and gets donuts every week for us. Have a donut. No calories, all right? <laughs> Just go. Go. I mean, hang around. Let's know one another. Be part of a group. We've got all kinds of groups. We'll talk about that in the fall. You hear me talk about that all the time. The point is, the birthmark the trait of a true believer filled with the holy spirit is that they love the church second birthmark is a life that desires to follow the lord in obedience first two by this we know that we love the children of god okay so this is how we know we love the church also is when we love god we obey his commandments For those of you who are in the military, you receive orders. What would you think about a soldier who understood verbatim the orders of his commanding officer and yet went out and did what he wanted to do? What would happen to such a soldier? His commanding officer would not care that he knew the orders. All he cared about is whether the orders were carried out. And so the key issue For us, as Christians, we should not just talk about the commandments and the ways of God, not just memorize the word of God, although we should and understand them, we should live them. We should walk in his ways because God is interested in us carrying out his ways in our dark world. So how do you show your love for God? Verse 3. For this is the love of God, or for God, that we keep his commandments. The highest credentials of love are to be found in the way we live our lives in obedience to the Lord. God himself says in the Old Testament in First Samuel, obedience is better than sacrifice. So let's put it in a contemporary church context. To obey God is better than preaching about obeying God. To obey God is better than singing about obeying God. To obey God is better than having a Bible study lesson taught about obeying God. To obey God is better than bringing a tithe to God in church. To obey God is to do whatever God says. And so ask yourself a simple question Am I doing that? Am I doing what God says? Are His commands really too hard to keep? Why do I keep the commandments anyway? So the answer to that question really reveals what's there. Why do I keep it anyway? It reveals our spiritual maturity or lack thereof. You know, is your Christian life a duty? you have to force yourself to fulfill it? Do you have to feel that if you don't keep the commandments, you better hide? Because you're afraid what might happen if you don't? Or do you genuinely desire to live for the Lord? And walk in his ways. When John says God's commandments are not burdensome, he indicates that that's what the world is thinking that they are. But not his people. Real Christians don't think that way because the primary motivation is out of the personal relationship that each and every one of us have with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We marvel at the cross. And it's out of that we desire to follow him and live unto him. So you think about the Ten Commandments. I doubt you when you guys woke up this morning, the first one, thinking of that one in particular, you shall have no other God's before me. I suppose you didn't get out of bed and bow down to a golden idol. But we have other idols that we worship. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Today is the Lord's day. Do we keep it holy? Honor your father and mother. This is for all of us, adults, if our parents are still alive, as well as for our students. Honor your father and mother. It doesn't mean like them. It doesn't mean agree with them. It means honor them, who they are. You should not murder. Well, that doesn't seem too hard to keep. But Matthew 5 says you can break this commandment by hating a brother. (laughs) I hate that guy. Uh Uh-oh. Just murdered him. Matthew five. Also, you shall not commit adultery. Well, that one shouldn't be too hard either. But Jesus says, if we look at a woman lustfully, we've already committed adultery in our heart. You shall not steal. Well, that sounds easy to keep. I don't rob key bank. But wait, have I ever plagiarized? Have you ever plagiarized? Have you ever, you ever, cheated on a test? Misinform the IRS and your taxes, taking anything that's not yours. You get the point. If we love God, we're going to do as he says. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we will not murder him, commit adultery with his wife, steal from him, lie to him, or covet anything that he possesses. And we can measure our love for God, how well our lifestyle matches up with the maker's instructions. So that's why it says at the end of verse 3 that God's commandments are not burdensome. The word in the Greek for that are, is heavy. They're not heavy. They're not hard to bear for his children. You know, because when we love God, we've been born of God, we're grateful what God has done. There's a desire there. We recognize the freedom that's living there because it's built up a relationship. This is not just keeping rules. It's about a relationship. And the Christian life is lived out of a love for our Heavenly Father. And that's what makes our obedience to God's command a matter of desire and delight. The reason God gives us His commands in the first place is because He does love us. You know, Children sometimes think their parents are mean when they tell them not to do something. There must obviously be some pleasure in touching that hot stove or my parents would not tell me not to do it. (laughs) Only maturity brings the knowledge that our parents prohibit certain things and tell us certain things simply because they love us. And it's the same with our Lord. Obedience brings true freedom as we pray in morning prayer. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what walking in his law is like. It's light. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Now make no mistake, it's never been easy to be a follower of Jesus, ever. It will take every ounce of our spiritual strength to live faithfully this way, but we have the Holy Spirit. It's not easy to live for God, but John is informing us that our love for God is evidenced when we are willing to do what he says. And they're not burdensome. So John will have nothing to do with the easy believism of American culture. That the notion that you can love God but not do what he says. You may say you love God all the day long, but John says the proof of your love is the fruit that you bear in a life of walking with Him and obedience and following Him. So the first trait is a love for God's people. Because you love the Lord, you love His people. Secondly, you love the Lord, you're walking in His ways. And the last one, the third trait that we see in verse 4 and 5 is a life that overcomes the world, has victory over the world. It's a birthmark. Verse 4, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's a tradition in my house. I didn't get to do it this year because we were busy, but I'm going to do it sometime this week. I alternate on June 6th, watching the first half hour of Saving Private Ryan, one year, and then the next year I watched the drop of Band of Brothers. Just for Gene Sherman's sake to remind myself of the cost of our freedom. That that generation was willing to pay against a great evil. And I love those stories. Stories that depict titanic struggle against evil empires. And I visited some of those sites Civil War, Revolutionary War, World War II. But there's an even greater conflict, God reminds us, that rages daily over all the earth. And it's an unseen battle, but it's no less real. It's the spiritual battle between the forces of God and the forces of Satan. And we Christians are soldiers in the army of the captain of our salvation, my friends, marching us to war as we sing. And so John tells us that our faith, simply our trust in Jesus Christ alone, is, present tense, victory. You have it. You've already won. And 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Well, So what does that mean? Well, I think it means two things. First of all, when you're a Christian, you recognize that you're always battling temptation. It's a real battle. We all deal with it. We recognize it. It's there. might be getting better in certain areas, hopefully, but it's an upstream swim in the culture. always has been. And the second thing that we recognize is that you have all the power you need in the Holy Spirit to overcome. Earlier in chapter 4, in verse 4 of chapter 4 of this letter, he says, he is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So Jesus Christ lives in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul wrote in Colossians 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is Paul, the greatest church planner ever. And what he's saying is, Hey, guys, the Christian life is a struggle for me. I labor at it. But the reason I'm persevering in this life struggle is that I have his power, his energy, and so do you. You're in a struggle, and you have his power. And that's what it means. That's our experience, and how you know you're his child and his follower. And it's going to last a lifetime. Now, what are the particular things that we overcome? Well, in chapter 2, this is where I, I like to do expository preaching and preach through whole books because we didn't get to that. But I'm just going to point it out to you anyway. Verse 16 of chapter 2 of 1 John, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, is from the world. Kind of sounds like the world, the flesh, and the devil, Right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's what we overcome, okay? We all struggle with those things, but we overcome them. And the new birth that you have in Jesus Christ has put you in the position to overcome. Because that's the way the world lives, quite frankly. And notice, it doesn't say that you're going to overcome instantly. It doesn't say you're going to overcome it completely. This is probably going to be a lifelong battle, and the enemy of the world, the flesh, and the devil might win a battle or two, but you're going to win the war because you're in Jesus Christ. When the Civil War broke out in 1861, the, the Lincoln's secretary of state predicted that the war would be over in 90 days. Don't worry about it. Young men by the thousands came forward to volunteer to whip the South, and four long years later, Half a million lives were lost because they underestimated the strength of the enemy. Underestimated it, totally. My friends, we should never underestimate or overestimate our enemy. Okay? We are in battle the moment we enlist and we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord, and it doesn't take long to enter it, but our warfare will lead to victory if you're born of god you have victory in other words the world the flesh and the day of devil may have won the battle but you will win the war and as you battle the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and struggle against them you're going to have victory and that's what it means to be a christian Because there are going to be days when you, like Paul, will say, wretched man that I am. And in the same breath, you can also cry, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You are never left with wretched man that I am. You always finish with thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ who gives me the victory. So the Holy Spirit lives in you and he continues to work in you. And the victory to overcome the world is our faith. It's not a wishful thinking. It's a reasoned trust in the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And the victory begins when you recognize that you have the Holy Spirit in you to live through you. You know, there aren't many Christians who really believe this. They insist that they're powerless, that this temptation is too big for me, Gene. Well, yeah. It is too big for you, but not for the Holy Spirit who's in you, that dwells in you. Does that mean you won't struggle? No, of course you're going to struggle. But it does mean you will prevail. Because my relationship to Jesus Christ, my union with Christ and salvation enables me to overcome the world. It's not a matter of rule keeping. Don't reduce the Christian faith to being a good person. No. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we grow. And all of a sudden, we start bearing the fruit of the Spirit, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle. That's a good person. That's what God does for His people through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to recognize that the world, the flesh, and the devil are all bullies. They're bullies. I not only had to contend with my brother, I had to contend with Mark Hawthorne. So the little guys, I was part of the little guys. I was eight years old, the little guys in my neighborhood. Okay? And so we traveled together. We called ourselves the Wolf Pack. Because if one of us separated, we were done. We were done. So we all just stayed together. And if Mark Hawthorne would jump out of the bush and just grab one of us and start pounding, pounding, pounding. I'm not kidding you. This is real. You know, talk to my brother. It's true. And so we had a bully in our neighborhood. And one day I I remember it. I remember they were serving shepherd Do they do shepherd's pie in school? I could smell the shepherd's pie going to lunch line and I'm going, "Yay, I'm going to have shepherd's pie." And his grade was coming out cuz he was a grade older than me and he walked past me and goes, "You're dead after school." And I'm like, well, here we go again. <laughs> I'm dead. Okay, whatever. You know, but I'm going to get one in, baby. I'm going to get one hit in because that's all I got. I got one shot. So my, my elementary school was a massively huge school, 600 kids in the school. And so I figured if I just stay in the pack, in the crowd, he won't find me. Right? So my, I, just, I just find the biggest crowd and ran into the middle of it and just kept my head on a swivel looking for Mark Hawthorne as I'm walking down Glenbrook Avenue, you know, down the school. But what I didn't realize is my hero, John Citron, who's six years older than me, who at this time was a ninth grader in the school, uh, my, our high school, had come to Mantua Elementary to tutor some kids in reading. He was a football player. He went on a full ride to Florida State University as a sprinter. Almost won the Olympics, got in the Olympics. He missed it by just a couple tenths of a second. We were all bummed. He was a great guy. He heard, when he was in the elementary school, Mark Hawthorne say to me, you're dead. So Sid just walked home 10 feet behind me. I never knew he was even there. So I'm walking, head on a swivel. I'm, get, I'm just, you know, I'm a realist. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm just walking. And, and I couldn't see my friends. I'm out of the pack. I'm really dead. And so I'm, I'm trying to stay in the crowd, and the crowd's starting to thin out. And all of a sudden, on my back, I feel a hand. Boom. started to spin me around and said, you're dead. And I started to haul off and turn around. I was just going to hit him. And then all of a sudden, John hands were on his shoulders and said no you're dead i go i love you man (laughs) and i walked home with john citron it was great me and all my buddies hey sit here it's great isn't it wonderful and john john told him don't you quit bugging these guys leave them alone didn't work (laughs) because john didn't come to our elementary school every day but it worked for a second my friend, there's always a bully out there in the world and the flesh and the devil against us. But aren't you glad you have an older brother who fights for you? Who fought for you upon the cross? Who secured this victory for you? Who's bigger than the bullies that we have? And in him, you're an overcover. And this word overcomer and victory are synonymous. The Greek word there is Nike. Got any Nike apparel? All right? When you wear it, remember who's your true victory. Jesus Christ. Because you're given this overcomer. You could translate this, whatever is born of God victories the world, and this is the victory that has victoried the world, our faith. You have trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. You got it. You got everything you need. You have the Holy Spirit. And that is a game changer for us here at Christ Church, my friends. A total game changer. Because from now till Sunday, December 1st, we are on mission. From Advent, we focused on what? His coming. To Christmas, we focused on He's here. Thanks be to God. Epiphany, we said, oh, he's really here. You know, he is the light of the world. Lent, we recognize, not only is he here, we need him because we're totally depraved sinners. Easter, he's risen again. Ascension, he's really risen again. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for us, and he's, Pentecost, he's given us the Holy Spirit, now go to the ends of the earth, to Avon Lake, Bay, Avon, Cleveland, Ohio, to the world, wherever you're found, being a blessing. And as you go, be ready to share the good news with other people. we got a simple way you can do that. We're starting a little card campaign. I call them grace notes. You will see them on the welcome desk as well as in the the other window over there and this is an idea i got from another minister in our diocese named jeff smead who was the interim rector at uh, the anglican church in ligonier pennsylvania because people would come to jeff and people have come to me and said gene all my friends are christians all my friends go to church well first of all you need to know just because they go to church doesn't necessarily mean they're christian all right and two They may call themselves Christians, but look at the fruit that's being born out of their lives. If it's not the fruit of the Spirit, they're not necessarily Christians. But let's say that's the case. All your friends are Christians. We're going to, I'm asking you to take, we have 50 grace notes boxes. We're a church that averages about 170 in attendance. I think we can get rid of 50, all right? And what we're going to do over the next eight weeks is take these cards and let's say you're at the barber shop, men, and your barber gives you a nice haircut. Write them a note saying, thank you for your service, it just blesses me. Or ladies, your hairstylist. Or the person, the cashier at Giant Eagle or Heinen's that you've gotten to know throughout the years. It's just really nice to you. Just just write them a note. All the ideas are on the inside of the box, all right? So if you forget something, just read this. It'll, it'll prompt you with some ideas. And the point is, you agree by taking a box for the next eight weeks to send out one note a week. So you You keep the one note with you, with an envelope, and you just carry it with you and say, Lord, show me who I should send a a grace note with. So let's say it's the person at Giant Eagle. You checked out, you get home, you look up on Google the address of the Giant Eagle, and you send it to Barney. Barney, thank you for the blessing you were in my life today. Just your smile blesses me. Thank you. You send it to that address manager gets it and says, Barney's got a note. What's this? Barney, you got a note? Write this. He doesn't even know who you are. You know? He reads it and goes, huh, how cool. I blessed somebody. I was just being me. The next time you see them, hey, did you get my note? See what conversation that spurs. And what Jeff discovered in the little Anglican church there in Ligonier after eight weeks. And about week four, it becomes hard. So you take some note cards, you sign up with your email address, and what I do is I send you a weekly email just reminding you, I'm praying for you, reaching out, and we encourage one another. And then as you start to get in conversations with these people, just be willing during the announcements to share a portrait of grace. Because we've been given grace in Jesus Christ. We need to pass it along. It's just one tool in the tool belt that we can use. Inviting a friend to the John Book Club is another tool of the tool belt. There's all kinds of things we can do to reach out over the next six months as we strive, praying that each one of us will reach one person for the kingdom This next six months. The bishop has asked us to do it, so let's do it. And so my point is, wait, it doesn't have to be flashy. It just can be simple and graceful and loving and Faithful. So I invite you to do that because we're overcomers. Love one another, walking in his ways. We have victory. It's ours. Fill me, Holy Spirit, for your honor and glory over these next six months. May you do good work in me and every one of us as we seek to follow you. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for your love for us. and We pray that this Pentecost season As we walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, would truly be such a season among us, sparking revival and renewal as we seek to love you and love one another. And as we struggle with the various temptations and trials in the world, the flesh and the devil, Lord, help us to recognize that we're your children and you fill us and empower us and do not leave us as orphans so that we might shine your light wherever we're found. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.